Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Pig Health Today, and with me is Daryl Holkamp. He's a veterinarian and associate professor at Iowa State University. Always good to see you, Daryl. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Now, I know you've been doing work with transboundary diseases, but just to help everybody in our audience get on the same page, we talk about transboundary diseases, emerging diseases, foreign animal diseases. Are these all the same or are they different? Well, they're not exactly the same. They, uh, the meanings overlap a bit. So when we, when we talk about transboundary disease, really we're talking about diseases that are already out there in the world, uh, but not here in the U.S. And so we're worried about them crossing our borders and coming into the U.S. A good example of that, of course, would be PD virus that hit in the U.S. in 2013. Uh, that virus had been in uh, China and Europe uh, and other countries for quite a long time before it made its way uh, across the border into the U.S. And so we, that's our most recent example of a transboundary disease. Disease. Isn't that, in effect, a foreign animal disease then, if it came in from China and we didn't have it before? Yeah. Yes, that, so, so a foreign animal disease would do the same thing, uh, except uh, those uh, are the ones uh, that would cause us uh, to lose some of our, our uh, trade, and so we call them trade-limiting diseases. And so foreign animal diseases, really, we can think of those as a special class of transboundary diseases uh, that we're particularly nervous about. What are you nervous about right now? Foreign animal diseases, of course, are our biggest concern, again, because we would... Uh, we would lose some of our trading, if not all of our, our uh, uh, export markets. And given that we're, um, we, we export about 25% of our pork today, and uh, by all accounts that, that's trending upward, uh, it would be devastating if we were to, uh, to lose that overnight. Now, you are, are working on a program called the Rapid Response Emerging Disease, RRED. What's that all about? Is that focused on foreign animal disease or transboundary? transboundary diseases, right? If we were to get uh, a foreign animal disease, and, and by the way, if we can list those, those are really probably foot and mouth disease, classical swine fever, and African swine fever are the ones we're worried about. If we were to get one of those because their their uh, uh, USDA would, would take the lead on those. So what we're more worried about are uh, transboundary diseases, and so things like PED, for example. Uh, I think everybody sort of acknowledges that when PED did hit in 2013 as an industry, we just weren't prepared to uh, to deal with that. We didn't have anybody that could go out and investigate the, these cases and try to figure out how it was being uh, transmitted from herd to herd. And so as a consequence, it spread you know, throughout the U.S. fairly quickly. So tell me more about the project. What exactly are you trying to do to ensure this rapid response? In response to PED, um, uh, the National Port Board, of course, uh, funded the development of the Swine Health Information Center. Part of what uh, uh, Dr. Paul Sundberg, as the uh, director of that uh, uh, information center. Uh, one of the things he wanted to do was was to develop this uh, um, a capability in the U.S. Uh, for the industry to go out and rapidly or very quickly investigate cases of a, of a transboundary disease. If we could do that, we, we then maybe could figure out how it got in the U.S. Uh, but then we also want to slow it down, right? We want to try to figure out early on uh, how it might be uh, moving from herd to herd. And if we can do that, we might have some hope of getting on top of it and, um, and, stop, and uh, slowing or, or stopping the spread of it. And so that's, that's the idea. And uh, one of the things that I think we were all challenged with uh, with PD was, uh, you know, it wasn't anybody's job. There wasn't any sort of program to do that. And so, uh, so Paul, I think, recognized that and, and, and then funded us to, uh, at Iowa State to develop that rapid response uh, program. So essentially, you're targeting biosecurity gaps. Is that right? That's actually a great way to say it, and that's how we often say it. Is that you know when we go out and do these investigations, that's what we're looking for. Is we're looking for gaps. We're looking for 
you know, ways that, uh, uh, given the evidence, and, and we tried to dig pretty hard to find the evidence, you know, what, what you know, were the likely ways it was transmitted that, uh, that caused that specific outbreak. So in your investigations, what are some of the most common biosecurity gaps that you see? Part of the reason I think Paul uh, had asked us to do this program is we've been doing uh, a lot of investigations for PERS under a different program that was funded by the Iowa Pork Producers Association. So that, this goes back all the way to 2013 and really the, the foundation of what we're doing for this rapid response program uh, comes from that, from what we've learned in doing that. And um, since we had developed uh, kind of a standard uh, approach and template for doing investigations uh, starting at the end of 2014, early 2015, We've done about uh, 17, uh, well, we've done more than that, but we have 17 in our, our database now, investigations of PERS outbreaks. And, and so one of the things we do is, uh, for each one of those, we, we, we do these uh, along the lines of risk events. And so, for example, uh, entry of semen is considered a, a risk event or entry of an employee would be considered a, a risk event. And so when we, uh, when we look at those, we always, uh, make some subjective assessment then of what the most likely routes of, of most likely risk events uh, that were involved in that particular outbreak. And in, uh, in eight of the 17 cases, uh, we had employee entry and uh, call sow removal uh, came up uh, eight of the 17 times as being high likely. The next uh, on the list was uh, repairs done inside the barn. And so while that's an event that doesn't occur as frequently, uh, it seems like when it does occur, uh, we've had several cases, uh, a couple in particular, where they, we consider more or less smoking guns, where the evidence uh, lined up almost perfectly that that was the, uh, the cause of the outbreak. Once you have a better handle on what these biosecurity gaps are, what do you do with it? Part of what we developed, uh, we learned early on when we do these outbreak investigations that uh, you don't, you don't want to do them uh, by just simply asking questions off a survey. Uh, because if you do that, you're going to, you're going to miss the good stuff. You're going to miss really the important things. The other thing that we put in there uh, that we learned is, of course, the, the ranking, the high, medium, and low, and then the frequency of events. So, you know, how many times did employees enter, how many times uh, was semen delivered, those kinds of things. Uh, that, that forms the database that we're, we're going to try to use then uh, and, and, and learn uh, from. What can veterinarians do at this point to assist with this program? So we have formed a, what we're calling a rapid response core. And, and we've, we've um, selected uh, a number of veterinarians from different parts of the country. So we took a regional approach. Uh, the idea being that we, uh, we want to avoid airports. And so to get these done quickly, um, we need to have people close enough that they can drive, veterinarians close enough or, or epidemiologists close enough that they can drive to, to wherever they need to to conduct the investigation. And, and so we've got this group we're, we're putting together now. Uh, we have a, a, a training um, uh, a course that they need to, to uh, uh, take and then pass a quiz at the end. So that's all uh, happening as we, as we speak. Our target is to get about 40 um, people in that rapid respo response core. Um, now, we're not limiting it to that 40 people. Anybody, any veterinarian can, uh, can go to the, to the SWIC SHIC uh, website and uh, uh, visit uh, the link that will be in the upper right-hand corner that says Rapid Response Program and, and can actually uh, go through the training program and if you like, uh, pass the quiz and see if you, if you pick up the information. Um, but, and that's strictly uh, for veterinarians? It's actually open to, uh, to anybody. We, we do have uh, some academics. We, ha we have a few uh, state animal health officials that have agreed to 
uh, to be part of this. Now they, they of course won't be uh, won't be compensated for doing uh, doing these because of their role, but uh, but there's uh, there's other individuals as well. It's not just strictly veterinarians. What's the producer's role in all of this? To provide the information, right? So when we go out and do these investigations, and this will be part of what we're training uh, people to do. Uh, the two most important people at the table are the herd veterinarian and, and, the, and really, the, I'll say the farm manger. They're the two most important people uh, in addition to the facilitators then, of course, but, uh, but that's, who, uh, that's who we need at the table. And so uh, it really is, um, you know, the process involves walking through, okay, uh, again, tell us, you know, not only how often, but what dates, you know, uh, prior to when the outbreak occurred that semen entered the farm, right? And so we'll walk through uh, all that, uh, uh, things are related to semen, semen entry, but... Uh, uh, but we need the person there that, that understands what, how that's done. Now, farmers are an independent sort. Um, they don't always like being told what to do. I think that's human nature. Um, when you identify these biosecurity gaps, I mean, how, how do you correct those situations on the mm -hmm. farm? And how can you frame that for producers so that they can make these changes that mm -hmm. are so necessary? That is a very good point, Joe, and, and we're very careful when we do these uh, PERS outbreak investigations to always start uh, with what, we're, what, we're, what our goal is, right? And our goal really is to, to try to identify gaps, things that we can do or that they can help them do in the future to, to uh, reduce the risk of, a, of another outbreak. And it's not about finding um, blame or uh, assigning blame or pointing fingers. Uh, in some cases, there are things that, um, you know, until a third party from the outside comes in and, and you know, sort of looks at that and says, oh, well, why are you doing that? And, and don't you, you know, don't you see that that, uh, you know, could really put the farm at risk? Uh, they don't because they're too close to it, right? And, and we all suffer from that. And I, I think I can honestly say, I, I don't think we've ever done one of these where, uh, you know, when I've had the chance to follow up and say, well, you know, what'd you do different after that? And they, they've made changes. And some of them are, are, you know, I think are very significant changes that, that, I, that I, tr I really would expect and hope that, that it will reduce the frequency of outbreaks even with just a couple changes. What we do affects our neighbors and what our neighbors do, uh, does affects us. And, and, and it is important. I think we, we continually try to Im improve our biosecurity, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of the industry.